first order of business, uh, Keith and Chris, you're on the wrong, you need to be over here. I, I don't know. Normally, you guys, I'm way off today, so this is throwing me off. Oh, oh, okay. This is, I don't know what's happening here. It's as if the Bachman sat up here. That'd be weird, right? So it is good to gather on this Sunday uh, as a reminder of resurrection. May God's grace and peace be with each one of you on this amazing February morning, right? Yeah? As soon as the fog lifted, you could just, it's just beautiful outside, isn't it? Um, and uh, we arrived this morning, uh, some of us carrying uh, much, some of us carrying heavy things. Um, and some of us arrived this morning, uh, and, and the, 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 lo- the load is light. So wherever you are this morning, everyone is welcome here, and uh, uh, just glad that you're here this morning. Uh, so I kind of want to start with the first slide that will come up here in just a second. Um, there you go. Uh, this is a monument, um, bronze statues, uh, in Northern Ireland, Deary. Uh, has anyone ever visited Northern Ireland and seen this? Uh, and this is a, this is a um, it's called Hands Across the Divide. Hands Across the Divide. Two men reaching out to each other uh, as a symbol of, uh, symbolizes a spirit of reconciliation and hope. Uh, for the future. This, is a, this was unveiled in 1992, 20 years after Bloody Sunday um, in Northern Ireland. And uh, I just, yeah, as I considered the text this morning and what uh, we just heard Kristen read, and as we'll proceed through the sermon, I just, this is just a good, like, just picture of what we just uh, listened to together. And also with Gail's um, story, uh, children's uh, story as well. So, so I just wanted to um, share that, kind of like the overall theme, and uh, it's just, it's powerful, isn't it? Make an amen. Um, if you've grown up in church or you've been around a while in the Christian faith and are familiar with the sacred, the, the sacred text of the Bible, uh, you know that there are two testaments, old and the new. And maybe you have heard it said or discovered after reading that, man, it seems like God is always angry, wound up, and uptight in the Old Testament, right? And that God in Jesus seems to be more about love and compassion in the New Testament. Maybe you have heard that said. Anyone? Okay. Uh, Anyone had these thoughts? Um, It would seem that each testament presents a different uh, attribute or characteristic of God, right? You You have heard it said that in the Old Testament, we have a God of anger and wrath. And in the New Testament, it seems to be more of a God of love Uh, But Jesus tells us, God is faithful. God is faithful. Um, Because we come to the gospel reading today, um, found in the sermon for the ADD, okay, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it moves from topic to topic to topic really rather quickly, if you you read all three chapters. Um, And we notice a lot of this. You have heard it said. You have heard it said. You have heard that it was said. But I tell you. And in fact, this happens four times in our scripture reading this morning on four different occasions. This is often a phrase that comes up, um, this repeated phrase comes up in a biblical context. So um, there's, there's stuff that happens right before our text, and there's some, some things that happen after our text, okay? And um, I want to read the, what happened just before this. And it might even, um, as you consider today's reading, uh, it might even be more perplexing, okay? All right? Uh, just prior to our reading this morning, it says, the fulfillment of the law. 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Jesus says, or the prophets. I have not come, in, come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Next slide. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these of the least of commandments um, and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, doesn't it seem like in today's text, in today's reading, you know, especially this, this uh, verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches, uh, teaches others accordingly, um, doesn't Jesus do this <laughs> in our reading today? Um, like, for instance, anger. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So what happened to the, the, the original? Adultery, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Can you make a paper airplane? Just slide that out of here if you can, okay? All right. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Moving on, divorce, you have heard it said. This is a law. This is something that they have sought to follow. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Let's throw that one away. Divorce, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife uh, makes her a victim a victim of adultery. Okay? And finally, in this realm of oaths, uh, you have heard it said, do not break your oath, but fulfill, fulfill it to the Lord, uh, fulfill to the Lord the vows you have, um, that you have made. How'd that go? That's good. All right. Let's give this one to Gail. You can have that one. Because we don't need it, because there's a new, but I tell you, do not swear on oaths at all. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is doing what he just commanded others not to do? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, it could seem that way, for sure. What's going on here? Does it seem that Jesus is, in fact, discarding or changing the law? So as we move a little deeper into this text, again found in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, Jesus has just announced that the kingdom of heaven has come near. He follows that with these things called the Beatitudes, right? Values, ways of living into the kingdom, okay? And then he announces uh, uh, that his followers are to be salt and light as they live in the new community in, in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Our reading this morning is the first four of six instances where Jesus announces, or rather invites, a new understanding of what was. Jesus will teach in regard to murder, mur anger, adultery, divorce, and oaths. After this, he 
addresses uh, retaliation, an eye for an eye, and then how we are to treat our enemies. Those are further in the text. So Jesus today is offering a new trajectory. Okay? These are hard topics. Anger, adultery, divorce, and oaths. I asked uh, Scott and Tony if they wanted to switch spots today. I could be in the nursery, and then they could give the sermon. They didn't say, they said no. <laughs> These are hard topics, aren't they? Right? These are hard to talk about. Um, so what we will see Jesus do, I think, is this. Okay, so roses. Who loves roses? Valentine's Day just happened, right? Did you get a rose for someone? Okay, the law, you have heard it said. I just sort of picture this as what is, what's already there, how God has commanded humanity to already live. You shall not murder. This is good. It's not necessarily to be thrown out. This is good. But what's the red part here? What does this signify? What, we have a rose, and then there's some red that comes out of it. What is that? Go to the next slide there. But I tell you, this is new growth. This is new growth. Okay? Uh, what has been given, commanded thus far in human history, that has served you and will continue to do so. It's not necessarily to be thrown out, like I've just this, you know, displayed here. However, Jesus is expanding what was and what is. Jesus is inviting the red. He's inviting new growth. Okay? He's inviting new ways of understanding how to live in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said, I came to fulfill. A rose bush does not grow. Um, if it doesn't grow, it will not reach its fulfillment. Its fulfillment. Like if roses, just like this, well, like two roses come out, but how, how big can rose bushes become? Right? It, they have to reach their fullness. And so there has to be a new way, a new growth. See what I'm saying? Okay? So the red, okay, but, but I tell you, this isn't to throw away the green. No. But it's, it offers a new trajectory, a new growth. Okay? So Jesus, I have not come to abolish the, the, them, that is to throw them out, but to fulfill them. Give them new life, new understanding, new possibilities. Set them on a new trajectory. So in today's reading, there seems to be four distinct ideas about anger, adultery, divorce, and oaths, okay? However, I think they're all connected with an overall theme, which we'll discover as we walk through them. <clears throat> so, got to get a drink of coffee, sorry. Let's just go through the first one. <clears throat> you, have said it, you, you have heard that it was said that people long ago, uh, to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment as well. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable, answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The word here is Gehenna. It's probably safe to say that those gathered here this morning have not murdered anyone. I mean, I'm not sure um, everyone's story. <laughs> But as I've gotten to know this community, I'm not sure anyone is guilty of taking someone's life. Um, it would seem like murder would be the worst of the offenses listed in this paragraph, right? Murder. What will, what will murder get you? Well, that will get you judgment. 
Anger also will get you judgment. A closer work at the, uh, look at that word judgment, um, krisis is the word judgment. Judgment here isn't always completely negative because judgment in the hands of God can mean deliverance for a person who is in the corruption of sin. Judgment is for our benefit. It purges, it purifies. Because of our, uh, because of our attachment to our sins, we experience this purging, purging as painful at first, but then we discover judgment as liberation if it's in the hands of God. From painful to liberation. Now, calling someone Raka, well, what will that get you? Well, that, well, that'll get you in front of the Sanhedrin. Seventy-two pious rabbis judging what you've just done. That's not going to go well for anyone. So maybe an increase. Okay, so so and then uh, calling someone fool will get you burned up, burnt up in Gehenna, which is was Jerusalem's garbage dump on the south side of the city, which was continually fed with garbage from the city, therefore continuously on fire, eternal fire, the fire of hell, the fire of Gehenna. As the offenses decrease in their severity, the punishment appears to be a bit more severe. Murder, murder someone and you're judged, which could turn out for your deliverance. Call them a fool, complete annihilation. Life in the kingdom is not uh, to be a new and improved old community. Rather, it's to be a reconciled, beloved community in which all people are treated with dignity. Not with contempt by calling someone Raka or a name, but with uh, affirmation, not deprecation by calling someone a fool. Jesus was pretty serious about this. As we move on in the text, therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front, there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them. Um, then come and offer your gift. In many liturgical settings, including the one I grew up in, which would be Catholic, um, there is in the Catholic Mass a passing of the peace. And we just thought that was a time to go shake people's hands and say what's up, you know, just peace be with you. And my, my dad and I, on opposite, we'd always give the peace sign to each other, you know, peace, right? So, so um, this happens in the Mass a little before the celebration of the Eucharist, the altar, passing of the peace. This gesture of passing the peace is simple, but, but I think its meaning can be very profound, okay, this passing of the peace. When we extend our hand to one another, we identify with Jesus who extended his life to the point of death to make peace for all humanity. Shalom. Now, I uh, hope you don't get angry about this, <laughs> but you've noticed I, I have tattoos. <laughs> right? I have tattoos. And um, on my right hand, I have the word shalom. Okay, the Hebrew for peace and flourishing. Shalom. And why do I have it on my right hand? Well, because that's the hand that you extend. Peace be with you. And how can I take this same hand and make a fist and hit someone, right? It's a reminder to me to live with peace with one another. Um, when there's divisions, um, uh, we symbolize our uni unity through handshakes and hugs. 
Uh, likewise, when we, when we regularly pass the peace, we practice God's call to make every effort to maintain the bond of peace. Now, we have a form of this here in our service, in our worship setting. Christian greeting is what it's called. Christian greeting. And uh, it's, it's good. Uh, we love to greet one another in the name of Christ and so on and so forth. Um, but um, I, I, I just wonder out loud here with you this morning, have we settled for, how was your week? How are you? I'm fine. See you next week. Or um, could there be maybe a little more intentionality with our Christian greeting, potentially? Now, it's good. I li- it's my favorite part of the morning, actually, is to go. Now, the introverts don't like it, right? <laughs> right? But I just, I, I love I love to um, say hello and, and so on and so forth. But, but um, maybe, um, as we even look at our bulletin, Christian greeting, could, could we move towards a passing of the peace? I mean, after all, we're Mennonites, right? <laughs> passing of the peace. To be more intentional and draw focus to a Christ-centered community, one of peace. Because, guess what? If we practice this art of peace here in these walls, Practice makes permanent on the outside. So we can practice peace on the outside. Just a thought, just an idea. I know that we'll have to talk about that <laughs> in various meetings, but maybe, yeah. So could it be passing of the peace? Christian greetings, good. Yeah, anyway. All right, so I'm going to move on. So settling matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you paid the last penny. Now, just a quick, small observation, and we'll move on. The NIV translates, translates this, come to terms quickly. Well, the Greek word here is eunaeo. Um, is uh, if I say that right, I think it's correct. Eunaeo. The original Greek here has a sharper meaning. Um, it's, it's the only time it's found in all of Scripture, and it means to make friends with. Come uh, settle matters quickly or make friends with. Jesus is more than just about having a truth. Jesus wants relationship, his creation to be in friendship with one another. See how that heightens the importance here? To make friends with. To make friends with. So, proceeding in the text, you have heard it said, you should not, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks, uh, looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. I tell you, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if, you, if your right hand causes you to stumble, uh, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, we're given the translation, uh, if you looking at a woman lustily has already committed adultery with her in his heart, perhaps a better understanding might be seeing with the purpose of desire. Seeing with the purpose of desire, okay? Is not seeing a woman as a person, but maybe as an object to be consumed. So here we have Jesus inviting us to consider the dignity of others. The dignity of others. That we are all created in the Imago Dei. And have God's um, 
imprint on us. Jesus is serious about this as he uses uh, hyperbole um, in, uh, to gouge an eye out and to cut off your hand. If taken literally, the fog would not have been the issue this morning getting to church. <laughs> it would have been blindness and no hands to drive with. That would have been the issue, right? Um, uh, Amy Jill Levine, a graduate of Duke University, professor at Vanderbilt, says it this way. By collapsing the distinction between thought and action, this um, extension of the law against adultery to include lust suggests that no one uh, should be regarded as a, as a sex object. The burden here is placed on the man. Women are not seen as responsible for enticing men into sexual misadventures. Jesus does not say, when your eye causes you to, 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 when your eye causes you to, causes me to sin, I tell the woman to go put on more clothes. Jesus doesn't say this. The onus, the burden here, is on the man. The burden is on the man. And it's also in the next section as well, on to divorce. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce, give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. The victim makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this, this word for divorce in Greek, um, divor we think of divorce in our, in our setting, day and age, right? Uh, but here, it, it means freed or released. So a woman is freed or released because then women were more viewed as property. They are freed and released, right? So it's interesting that Jesus uses the, that word here. If you married one who is freed, you commit adultery. And the woman is not seen here as the one committing adultery. Divorce is about the rights of women. Divorce leaves the wife open to be a victim of adultery, also a lack of social and financial position. So again, the onus, the burden here is on the man. It's on the husband. So essentially, in all of our, so we can take this, this, this thing about divorce, but we can expand that to all of our relationships. All of our relationships. Um, how have we treated one another? Have we treated one another as disposables? Here today and gone tomorrow. As if we had no need for them and they had no inherent value. In any case, the, the, the new kingdom is, is, um, is not one to be where women are passed around. The new community, again, is about the dignity and affirmation of others, whether married or single. It should be safe for both. And so finally we come to oaths um, at the end of this passage. <clears throat> again, you've heard it said that um, to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, or for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. You cannot make even one hair white or black, but gray for sure. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. I mean, if you think about it, truth is oath, Swearing, right? 
is for people potentially who don't trust one another. As if underlying our cheap, our cheap words with a thin veil of piety might make them more believable. Oaths can actually serve to underline doubts, not certainty. Oh, I swear, I swear, I swear. Maybe that's more about doubt. Jesus is saying uh, that in the new kingdom, there is no need for such oaths because reconciled people, reconciled people can speak truth to one another, uh, can speak truth to each other and live in trust with one another. So as I wrap up this, this text here, um, so Jesus today in the Sermon on the Mount, is, is, is he just being difficult? Because he takes what was, and it, man, he just seems to pile something even harder to follow, right? Anyone? You've heard it said, but let's just make it even harder, <laughs> right? Um, now, Jesus doesn't cover all situations um, that we find ourselves through his preaching ministry. And he doesn't descend into the particular of how we live and move and have our being for all areas of life. He doesn't. But what Jesus does offer is an overall ethic, a theme of living into and in the kingdom of God. What is the spirit of Jesus' words? In all four sections, all four things that we talked about, what is the spirit of Jesus' words? Well, it's reconciliation and right relationship. And so we go back to this picture. Um, go one more slide there, seven. There you go. What's the spirit of Jesus' words? Over all of it, it's right relationship. Right relationship. One that there is a presence of peace and dignity and respect with all people. With all people. According to Jesus, it's not just for murder that we will be held accountable, but for anger, insults, and name-calling. According to Jesus, adultery is not solely determined by physical relationships, but by thoughts and desires that we have in our mind. According to Jesus, divorce might sometimes be legal, but there will always be lasting consequences. And according to Jesus, honesty and truth-telling are not to be governed by an oath, but by every word we speak. So the green part of the rose, these rose bushes, the law, the green was never to be intended to be the, the goal. The law was never intended to be the goal, the end game. Jesus isn't about keeping rules for keeping rules' sake. It's not. Now, growing up, what I thought about God, what I thought about Jesus, man, You've heard it said that Jesus is a fun hater. You've heard it said that you, it's a list of you cannot, cannot, cannot. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. This was my understanding until 22, 23 years old. You cannot, cannot, cannot. You've heard it said. But I tell you that relationships matter. Relationships matter. How my creation gets along with each other I care deeply about that. Therefore, I'll give you some guiding laws, principles, values, the Beatitudes, hello, right? Like, 
we're going to give you these. Here you go. Here's how to do right relationships. So Jesus doesn't reject the law. He doesn't reject it. I think he intensifies it. He doesn't change the law, but he helps us to interior, interiorize it, like to, to have it on the inside. Jesus is more interested in our lives and relationships um, being put back together, made whole, more than he cares about the superficial compliance to just the rules. The, these commands are intended to be a means of establishing, nurturing, and protecting relationships. So a, a question to ponder as we close and give the rest away. Are there ways in which I have kept the rules and have lost the relationship? As we sit here, And we go through the Rolodex of our relationships or our friends on Facebook, depending. Um, are there any relationships with the absence of dignity and respect and peace? How might the Lord be encouraging you or inviting you towards?